podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today uh, we are continuing with our series of FBL team reveal videos and I am very happy to be joined uh, by Pranil. You may also know him as Late Riser 12 if you follow him on Twitter or of course if you are a fan of The Wire. He is uh, one of the uh, the many fantastic minds that make up that show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, with us uh, here today. Uh, how are you doing and uh, are you looking forward to the new season? Yes, very, very excited to the new season. for the new season. Excited to be here chatting with you. Uh, for people that don't know, you're actually my first boss in the fantasy world as we know it. So, you know, for the first time I started writing and doing any bits of FPL content, it was under you. So pleasure to be catching up after all this time. Yeah, it was amazing, really. Um, I remember when you first sort of came on board and we did some, some editorial content for Fantasy Football Scout. I was, I was very pleased to, to, to get you. You were a, a, a bit of a coup in many ways, uh, a big signing. And uh, I mean, what, what I have to say is that when, when I first did stuff with Fantasy Football Scout, a lot of the, the coverage that we did it was a, a lot of the time drawn from people predominantly from the UK. And uh, it, was, it was really exciting to, to get someone with more international acclaim and see how you've managed to grow that, um, you know, with the other guys at The Wire as well. So it it must be quite cool to sort of be involved in, in Fantasy Premier League in a completely different part of the world where even though you're not in the UK, the the enthusiasm for it in terms of yourself, but also those who tune into The Wire every week is is massive, even though it's it's not even in the same country. It's, it's baffling to me. It's, it must be really cool. It's great, right? Sports precedes boundaries. And even though FPL isn't a sport, it's just a game that is just loved internationally, you know. Both you and I have made friends literally in every part of the world. I'm sure if you're going anywhere and we're just tweeting we're in this part, I'm sure there'll be at least a couple of people from the FPL community who we'd be happy to just share a drink with. Yeah, that's the thing. And uh, I remember seeing, you know, just images that the Premier League would do of like FPL meetups in India, for example, and other parts of uh, of Asia as well. And it's just, it's it's humbling in many ways just to see how far this uh, the love that we have for this game can go and how it can bring people together. Absolutely, absolutely. It's great. Absolutely great. And, you know, I am privileged. I feel great to be a part of it. I feel lucky that I get a chance to do this uh, amount of content. And uh, after three or four years with Scout, it's almost second nature now. I love doing what I do. Yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. We've well, mentioned Scout, yeah. of course. Uh, before we continue, I do have to remind people that now is the best time to sign up for that membership uh, for the new campaign. You're going to get so many things if you do that, uh, not least uh, up to 30% off with the preseason prices. But of course, with that, you're also going to get access to the preseason guide for all the teams, preseason minutes tracker, season points projections, team transfer planners, uh, drafts and the best fantasy managers around, including some former winners, of course, and loads and loads of tables and comparison tools and incredible maps of Shots, chances created, XG, all sorts of stuff. There's just the, the boundaries are just, there are none. There are just so many cool things to get hold of. So make sure you get that uh, sorted. But let's bring it back uh, to uh, today's guest, who, uh, of course, not only uh, has made a name for himself as part of The Wire and the, the great content he does on Fantasy Football Scout, he's going to blush in just a second because I always like to big this up. Th this is a man who has finished uh, top of India. So he's won India for FPL twice. 
I mean, doing it just once is an incredible achievement. To have done it twice, and that is just uh, unbelievable. That's come from the fact that you finished in the top 100 twice. Uh, I think it was both of those campaigns that you, you, you beat all of your compatriots. I mean... We'll talk a little bit about how you, you know, go from one week to the next and your very unique style of management. But I wanted to just capture what that must be like on a personal level to sort of be able to walk around every day and, and sort of say, I'm the best FBI manager in India twice over. <laughs> I don't go around saying that every day, personally, but it feels great. It always feels surreal. Uh, it also means that I've gotten really, really lucky. Uh, for a couple of seasons as well because you know realizing with the growth that the game has seen in the last few years it's getting tougher and tougher so uh, you know the thing that actually I take away from that is I want to go for the hat trick and that sort of facilitates the sort of way I play the game and want to actually play the game this season which is uh, you know I genuinely listen to my gut have no fear when it comes to playing the game, stick to the basics, which worked for me in the past, maybe which I've forgotten in the last year or two, which is just watching tons of football, listening to your gut, doing massive amounts of research when it comes to just reading every article that comes onto the scout or, you know, getting onto the football forums. Just read, 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 watch, watch, watch. And and my entire process is that if you arm yourself with this much information uh, and because the instinct has worked in the past, just let the instinct do the talking yeah i have to say it's it's that instinct that i've always found very uh, intriguing whenever uh, certainly going back a few years and editing your articles as, as well and um, you're a big fan of uh, upside chasing you know turning around and saying you know what's the best possible outcome i can get from this why not give it a go and and not only has that worked for those two times that you uh, finished in the top 100 you know you've got an additional five finishes i think it is in the top 3k as well so you know it, it's very much a, a tactic that when it when it pays off it pays off really really well um and uh, i suppose that generally sums up your your management style i guess unless you want to uh, correct me or add anything to that it's it's certainly very unique i always enjoy listening to your your insight it's just uh, i mean every season that uh, you go into uh, there's a set of ideas that you want to take into you can't even preempt that but there's a set of ideas that you want to go into the season with uh, i mean the season when i had my worst season which was when i finished in the 600 700k region uh, i got two creative let's say with my fpl ways and i was like no maybe i need to correct this a little and uh, you know get a little bit of safety into that game which has sort of creeped into my game the last two three years which is not necessarily a bad thing but last season because of how the second half of the season was which was very straight jacketed right because of the number of doubles and blanks that we had there wasn't any room to be creative and i just felt very claustrophobic like I didn't like playing the game I didn't enjoy the game so you know uh, you know the good thing is in the last five six years I've had two bad seasons as well so the shackles are off the pressure to finish strong has gone and I'm setting myself like you know into more all or nothing territory without being that extreme right you don't have it's uh, but uh, yeah I want to give it a real go when it comes to listen my instinct and I just don't want to be afraid when making my moves this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an attitude that I think just is just really compelling for people just to not be afraid. And I have to say, it's, it's an attitude that it took me some time to really develop. I mean, I used to be very, very conservative as a manager. I would always be that one that was promoting the boring move each week. I, I'd maybe edit one of your articles where you'd suggest going for something and I'd go, oh, that's probably going to work, but I don't know if I'm brave enough to try it. And then, of course, it would usually come off. Um, but in the last year myself as well, I've, I've, so many things have sort of just changed in my own personal circumstances where I realized that the worst case scenario of it, of 
of a, a potentially upside chasing decision going wrong is what a red arrow and and you know maybe one or two people think i don't know what i'm talking about that used to scare me and and as i said just life goes on in the way that it does sometimes you you can put it into a different perspective and i, I very much feel the same way now like why not give it a go um why yeah. not take the shackles off and have some fun with it be creative be unique and it's going to be easier to do that this year hopefully <laughs> with a return to yeah. like normality and things isn't it let's hope so let's hope so well, let's have a look at your uh, team, or rather I should say teams. Oh, you've actually sent two in, which I really like this because, of course, we are still in that tinkering stage. We, of course, have branded this as a team reveal, but in many ways, lots of teams are still in draft. And it really centers around one Egyptian king, of course. And we'll start with the team that has him in. Uh, in I'm going to list it off for the benefit of the podcast listeners. It's a 3-5-2. Johnston and Bentley as the goalkeepers. Estupinian, Akanji, Chilwell as the starting defenders with Bayer and Kabore on the bench. Uh, then we've got Eze, Rashford, Salah, Foden, Saka. Big five-man midfield there. Harland and Pedro as the forwards. And then Mubama on the bench. And, of course, the crown jewel is Mohamed Salah right in the middle of the picture as well. Um, yeah, how wedded are you to this? I know you've sent in another team as well, but are you are you big on the Salah train at the start of the season? It's not about being big on the Salah train uh, at the start of the season, but there's an opportunity or a semi-sort of opportunity in Game Week 2 where Salah plays Bournemouth at home, where Haaland does have a home, go home game against Newcastle. But that's perhaps an, an opportunity to make sort of early gains uh, and it's about what you're compromising to get these potential early games if gains if they exist at all and that's sort of what i've been debating in the last two or three weeks and my entire process when you know i started genuinely messing around with my draft and thinking about how i want my game week one team to be is that i like that opportunity for salah in game week two and you know it leads to a lot of other uh, uh things that happen in my brain in terms of the flexibility that your team has post game week two because the moment you sell Salah you can literally buy anybody in the game and we are seeing a change of fixtures for Chelsea and Spurs two teams that we don't know much about as things stand at the moment so you know the thinking is that if I am able to get Salah in my team hit that captaincy it can work it can't work but it's a, it's a shot and when I when I and this is what sort of upside chasing is, where I'm sort of insuring myself against the Holland captainers by having Holland on my team. I'm not going too crazy, but not many people will have Salah. It's the best time to be a differential in the game. It's a home game against Bournemouth. If it if it works, if Salah if Holland gets an assist and if Salah does a brace or gets a triple return, you're making 20, 30 points on the field. But for that to happen, because the field doesn't have Salah, they've got three or four upgrades in positions that I don't have certain players. And that's the sort of uh, comparison that I am doing in my head when I'm trying to uh, decide whether I want to go with more or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much about the field, isn't it? As you say, because we are, I think I've ever seen Salah's ownership be this low at the start of a campaign. And that makes just such a huge difference in terms of what you can achieve. And I suppose maybe if that Bournemouth game was perhaps game week four or five, by then, maybe the opportunity has been lessened because that's enough time for Salah to... to well, I, mean, I, I don't think anybody thinks that Salah's going to start the season poorly. I mean, he ended the season very well, has, has been doing quite well in pre-season as well. It's just about the timing of having him when other people don't have him and therefore don't captain him. him. And, and, and as you say, that in and of itself is, is upside chasing. It's a, it's a chink in the armour of the, the broader opinion. 
and you just rather than sort of maybe try and wiggle a finger into that chink you just have a whole sword in there <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's just whether we can make it work and for it to work there just needs to be enough enablers in the game literally that's about it and you know i might actually ask for your help because there are certain positions in my team that you see here that are sort of non-compromisable that i'm fairly sure will be in my team by the time 12th august comes around you know so the names that i'm talking about estupinan chilwell uh rashford saka harlan and Eze, who I've grown fond of, especially after watching him play uh, in that game against Sevilla. I think these players will sort of stick around on my team. It's about where do I want to downgrade now? The, the biggest problem with this draft is if I just have Saka from Arsenal. And Arsenal have a great run of fixtures, especially those first three games where they have two good-looking home games. And uh, I sacrificed actually Foden. Uh, I sacrificed Martinelli and got him down to Foden. To sort of accommodate him, but I want Martinelli in my team, especially after the Gabriel Jesus news that we got yesterday, where he's having a surgery. So I want to get Martinelli, but then what else do I sacrifice? That's that's what's uh, mm. killing me when I'm trying yeah. to figure this team out. It, it is tricky, isn't it? Because I mean, uh, so I actually had Jesus and, and Salah, and I had no Arsenal midfielder. So I'm I'm actually faced with an even bigger pickle than than yourself because now I'm just stuck with ugh, I need an Arsenal midfielder, and really Salah's the only way in what I've got at the moment to get it. Um, to be perfectly honest, though, I, I don't think you have to really be that worried about the fact that you've only got one Arsenal because, and there's an interesting thing that I was talking about with General the other day uh, on our new series, General's Orders. Um, so apologies once again for the silly outfits. But, um, you know, we... we I thought you, they were great, by the way. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, I mean, if you like them... That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big big props to both of you for being just both. You know, it's it's everybody trying to do something different. And and we're out here to entertain as well, right? FPL's about having fun as well. Exactly. Well, we certainly had that. Yeah. We certainly we had fun. But we learned something as well because the thing that was really intriguing was one of his orders was take away game week one from the season ticker. Does that change how you think? And one of the biggest things we noticed was that when you do take Arsenal's first home game against Nottingham Forest out uh, and you're sorting the season ticker by attack, they do plummet from being the third best team over the first six to being sort of like mid-table, 10th, 11th for, you know, how good that attacking potential is over the next six. I think it was game weeks two to seven. Now, of course, the Forest game probably is going to yield a lot of attacking returns for lots of people. But if you just commit and say, look, I'll let everybody have the points for, say, Martinelli or whoever it is, is the subsequent Arsenal attacker on top of your Saka. Um, and then you don't have to make transfers to, in effect, move away from that attacking double up. You've already got who the next best guy is over the next period. Maybe it's OK. And we've seen Arsenal maybe just struggle a little bit in preseason as well because they're reintegrating um, certain players into the team. They've got new players coming into the midfield. You know, it, it, the makeup of, of the sort of the engine room of that team is in transition. And so I wouldn't be shocked if Arsenal assets maybe don't deliver as, as well as we think at the start of the season. I don't think they're bad by any stretch, but I don't think that at the same time there's anything really that bad about only having the one attacker. And, and if it means you can have Salah as well, I mean, you look at how he finished the end of last season. I mean, he was the top player uh, for points after Liverpool switched their new system in game week 30, for example. So... It, it, it feels like a like it, it's not a, a spicy decision that's sort of for the sake of it. There, there is a lot of data that suggests that chasing that upside is going is going to work. So, I mean, that's just my take. I, I I think that Arsenal double Arsenal attack is not essential. Is is effectively what I'm saying when you consider the fixtures yeah. beyond Forest. So yeah, it, it's 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 not sitting right with me though. I'm not going to lie. Like I want to <laughs> convert that Foden spot into 
Martinelli. I'm hoping to see if Kai Havertz sort of opens up as a punt. I want to see what they do in the community shield and see if there's any learnings from there. But as as much as I can try, I'll try accommodating uh, Martinelli in this team. That probably means actually I've been just thinking about it while we've been talking also, right? Because <laughs> I, 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 I need to maybe downgrade a Kanji or a Stupinan toward 5.5 to get accommodate that. The earlier I had sort of uh, Joe Pedro in, I had Enciso in place of Eze for that spot. Again, you know, jumping on the Brighton train, but I feel like having Enciso and Pedro might be too much. And Eze just, like if you're trying to play around and take a few gambles in your team, Eze seems like somebody I'm comfortable holding throughout. Like he seems to me like a pick that is going to play 90 minutes and 90 minutes matter now with the new rules in the Premier League as well. You're going to be comfortable. He's going to be sort of talismanic in that team. He's on set pieces as well, probably taking penalties as well. So yeah, maybe the third defender spot is the one to compromise. But yeah. again, I every time I look at City's fixtures, I just think not having one, if not two City defenders is silly. But again, there's a little bit of doubt with all of those City defenders in terms of minutes except Stones and Diash. And uh, even those defenders don't come cheap. So that's where I am. Yeah, Struggling, as you can see, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure things out. We can, we can certainly relate with that struggle for sure. Because yeah. um, yeah. where you make those sacrifices is, is interesting. I suppose, let's have a look at another area where you, you arguably have made some, some sacrifices and have get your thoughts here. Obviously, in the forward line, you've got Haaland, which makes obvious sense. But, you know, you've got uh, Pedro and, and, and Mubama. Um, are you, does that make you nervous a little bit? Because I suppose it's hard to move off those guys to other people, uh, more so with Mubama, of course, he's probably just going to be a sub. But with Pedro, I mean, are you interested in the six million bracket at all? Or I uh, just wonder what your thinking was there. I suppose with Sally, you have already mentioned, you could upgrade him with a transfer if need be. But, you know, yeah. um, what's he thinking with your forwards? Yeah, if I go forward and down, like there is one thought, let's say if I want to play safety with minutes, right? If I get a forward and down to Mitoma, who is who offers maturity in terms of minutes, I can take Pedro up to Vissa. But that's just not chasing the stars, right? When you're talking about absolute upside. But it leads to a certain level of security in the team in terms of minutes at least. So that's the combination that I'm thinking about. Like these three or four or five spots is what I'm playing around. Where I think Rashford, Salah, Saka, Haaland, Chilwell, they're non-negotiables in my team. Those are players that I really want. I'm just a, It's about playing around with the other. Salah is still in debate, especially because which we'll see in my no Salah draft, that, that there are a couple of Liverpool players who are emerging as maybe first choice. So again, a space to monitor. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot to have a look at in pre-season. And one of those things that we have seen in pre-season is, of course, Chilwell has looked very, very good for Chelsea and been very, very attacking. Seems like he's got his fitness in order, which is nice to see as well. Um, interesting for you to describe as a, as a non-negotiable, because, I mean, a few people are still debating it, but you seem pretty, pretty sold on, I guess, Chelsea as well as him is my guess. Yeah, it's just a skill set of the player. I am a big Chilwell fan. I absolutely love him. He was, in fact, I was on him two or three weeks ago. It's, it was before the community started seeing his potential in the last week or so. It's just because of the player that Ben Chilwell is. He's just a defender that's made to attack. A little bit like Baines where, you know, he's just got that instinct in him. He's quality. He knows how to cross the ball. He knows where the back of the net is. I, I love him. And Chelsea's fixtures gave me three onwards are great. And I'm just, he's one of the very few defenders capable of points on uh, both sides of the pitch. And I want to be... Placing my bets there. 
Mm. I mean, he's he's very very attacking. I mean, we was chatting with uh, Simon March, of course, as a Chelsea fan the other day, and there's there's a difference between him and Rhys James in the way that they play, and arguably the ceiling is higher on Chilwell because he is more of a goal chaser. Where James yeah. kind of sits that little bit deeper, and he sort of loops those balls in from deeper, almost a bit like Trent yeah. or perhaps maybe De Bruyne. Chilwell just yeah. is heading for the dead ball line, isn't he? And he tries to have those shots right near the like very close angles at the. At the, at the near post and quite often hooks it into the top corner and it's um it's pretty yeah. amazing when that comes off yeah and he's good at them too so yeah i want you to he's, he's a player i like to watch as well it's exciting yeah i i, I don't think i'm gonna move him yeah certainly um uh well I mean, the other thing of course is that a lot of people may move to him in game week three when those fixtures get nice so it's of course nice to be involved uh early on i suppose um the rest yeah. of your defense um we've let's talk about the goalkeepers uh, and then we'll come on to the four million defenders um johnston and bentley are your two options there are you pretty happy with them i'm guessing that you are uh i'm spending no more than 8.5 million on my goalies and go from there sort of person yeah i mean i i Maybe think about Onana if I had 0.5 more to spend. But uh, I feel like I'm going to use the money and want the money more in my attack, especially if I'm going with more in my team. And, you know, times come when you just want that 0.1, 0.3, 0.4, 0. 0.5 more in attack. That's why I'm comfortable. Uh, you know, there are three keepers that are in my mind right now. Johnston, Pickford and Flecken. Uh, you know, Flecken, the thing is, despite the ridiculously good fixtures that Brentford have, Flecken himself has looked a little dodgy, let's say, when it comes to his uh, short-saving ability. And, uh, you know, keepers and their uh, chemistry with their defenders also matters a lot when it comes to defences. And they're losing two people at the front and the back of the spine, at least for the first half of the season, with potentially no Raya and no Abintoni as well. So I do wonder if uh, we we'll see a little downturn in Brentford's performances. So that's my thinking there. Johnston, because I just genuinely like the spine that Crystal Palace has. Like Johnston, uh, Gaye and Anderson, and then Dukure and Lerma. I think that's a solid five. And we know what Troy Hodgson is like, right? He's, he's always been sort of like a defense first manager. I quite like that team. I, I think their fixtures are somewhat underrated. They've got Sheffield United away, game week one. And of course, a tough fixture against Arsenal at home, game week two. After that, they have Brentford away, Wolves at home, Villa away, Fuller at home. So it, it's some good games, some bad games. They, they, he, in the famous free hit week last year, he pulled off a 10 pointer as well. So there's potential there in terms of them maybe conceding slightly lower XG shots and him getting some save points. It's between him and Pickford for me, I think, if I go 4.5. Hmm. Yeah, I really like Crystal Palace defence as well. Interestingly, I've been uh, looking at it more as a rotation with the defenders. Uh, I've, I've had Mitchell and, and looking at uh, Villa as well. But I agree with you completely on Flecken. I was very, very big on him uh, earlier on in the preseason. And when we looked at sort of some of the stats around Brentford, thinking, oh, okay, he could do a Raya. But as you say, the clips we've seen, they, they don't bode well. So I, I have been thinking of, of moving potentially uh, to uh, Johnston. Uh, Anana, of course, is, is in the conversation. And uh, that's a decent little segue just to talk about Man United, of course, uh, a team close to your heart as well you've got Rashford instead of Fernandez um any uh debates in your mind there uh, we've some, seen some people with both of them and you know if I was gonna if I was gonna put money on anyone to have both of them at some point in the season I'd probably put someone yourself being a <laughs> United fan and someone yeah. who, who likes to double down on uh, opportunities when they arise so I wondered if that had crossed your mind at all yeah it has crossed my mind uh, and uh, the thing is I just don't have money for Bruno in this sort of setup. Uh, if I'm compromising Salah, then Bruno enters my thoughts. But between Rashford and Bruno, Bruno, like it's easy for me to 
think of coverage as coverage and downgrade Rashford to Bruno to help me get other players that I want and think, okay, I have at least one United attacker in my head. But that's just a coverage thing. I think Rashford is above Bruno Fernandes as an FPL pick. Uh, we're designed to play in a way to create chances for him. Uh, he's going to be the primary goal scorer unless, until the time at least Holland sort of acclimatizes with the team and gets used to players around him. But Rash was the best United pick and I expect him to carry over from where he left off last season. That's said, Bruno Fernandes, right? I mean, he's a perfectly good pick, but he's just not as explosive as Rashford. I think Rashford has those mega hauls in him. Bruno Fernandes will be in and around the points, but he's sort of like a trickler, you know, where I don't expect him to be very explosive. Still an incredibly good at pick at that price. And if Mo Salah, if I choose to go without Mo Salah in my team, uh, Bruno Fernandes will definitely be in my thoughts. I suppose Rashford is, especially in your mind, with the way that you like to choose your captaincy, Rashford more captainable than Fernandes probably as well for the reasons you just uh, described there. Yeah, yeah. And we don't really need to think about the captaincy so much, but Rashford is just the best <laughs> Manchester United pick, period. Yeah, that's, all. that's fair, that's fair. Um, well, uh, let's have a look at your other uh, draft then, which is now what you did with the money when you uh, temporarily, I imagine, <laughs> sold Salah. Um, and it's really interesting because the changes, it doesn't feel all that different in a lot of the really key areas, which I think is, is, is great because when I look at my versions of Salah and no Salah drafts, I'm like, oh, it looks so different. But you've managed to do a very good job here in, in spreading the cash not too much in some areas and and you know just spreading it in lots of areas little bits basically so you've got anana as your goalkeeper so that's a 0.5 extra there stones in defense so that's a 0.5 extra there and Asupin and chilwell still involved of course uh, then your midfield is now eze rashford jota martinelli and saka uh, your uh, forward line is Haaland and watkins instead of pedro and interestingly, interestingly your bench is still exactly the same <laughs> bentley bayer kabore yeah. and, and mabama so um uh, Jota, I suppose, let's start with him as your Liverpool alternative. Um, yeah. Was that an easy decision to come to or are you still sort of got your eye on a couple of other Liverpool attackers? Uh, at the moment, I'm looking at Jota because I like this 3-5-2 structure. I like the players in midfield. Darwin's obviously in my thought as well. But with Jota, what I like is he's perfectly capable of playing that left winger or left inside forward or the central attacker for Liverpool. In my opinion, he's one of the best pressers in that Liverpool team as well. And Jurgen Klopp always talks about the key to making into the front three is to defend from the front as well. And that's what got Jota in uh, towards the end of last season as well. So, And then he's, again, you know, when Jota's on the pitch, he's got that knack for scoring. Like, he's just a goal scorer. He knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. So... If I'm convinced enough that Jota looks good for the minutes, because the thing is, though, I won't be comfortable or as comfortable captaining a Jota in game week two. Then I probably captain a Haaland or a Watkins who faces Everton at home in game week two. That's the thing. But it doesn't offer the upside that a Salah does, especially when we're talking about maybe attackers getting 10, 15 minutes more as well uh, because of how the extra time is going to work. It's going to be more like the World Cup. So you really want those 90-minute attackers in your team that sort of don't get subbed off, which is what the attraction with Salah is. Yeah, I mean, Jota has historically been used as as a bit of a... If he's going to start the game, maybe comes off around 70 minutes, uh, or maybe yeah. comes off 59 minutes. You don't, you don't want that, especially. Um, and, and there's lots of options there. I mean, I suppose the handy enough thing is, is that he is doing okay for minutes in the preseason. So uh, 180 minutes uh, for him, and only Gakpo and Salah have more minutes than yeah. him who are in the front, who you would expect to be in the front three uh, than him, more versatility than perhaps Nunes, for example. 
Um, and, yeah. he, and he's been doing uh, well. He's, I think he's had three goals, I think, for Jota in, in the preseason, something along those lines. Um, yeah. Yeah. And has looked pretty so, good as well. So Yeah. Yeah, so it's as you say, it does sort of change uh, how you view certain areas of, of of the team. I suppose you've already mentioned Watkins. Let's talk about him now. He, in many ways, has become even more relevant to absolutely everybody in the fantasy community in the last twenty four hours because, of course, he does look like the go to alternative for people who want to stay on an eight million striker, but they can't have a Jesus because it looks like he's going to miss the start of the season. Um, my my guess is you were probably already thinking about Watkins before then, anyway, but. His credentials just got a bit better, is my guess, is, is how you Perf- uh, view it. Yeah, yeah, perfectly good pick. Again, a 90-minute man, probably going to be on penalties as well. Definitely going to be on penalties, I think. Aston Villa are designed to create chances for Watkins, as we saw towards the end of last season. I think they're a team with tremendous upward trajectory. I thought Emery and Aston Villa have had a great uh, transfer window in the summer as well. I think Portoris is going to revolutionize how they build from the back. Telemans is a great addition in midfield. Diaby, who might is somebody I'm considering at the moment, who might be playing next to Watkins as well. Just a team I'm expecting to be really, really good this season. Carry off from where they left off last year. And I suppose... Just a other- good pick. Yeah, he's yeah. There's 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 not much to dislike here, is there? And and he also offers yeah. you that extra bit of flexibility, I suppose. That if because uh, you know you mentioned at the beginning, maybe you want to see a bit more out of Chelsea. Um, could you see yourself maybe using him as a route to and Kunku or or Jackson if they hit the ground running? Yeah. Yes, of course, of course. That's on my mind for sure. And Kunku, Jackson, Darwin Nunes, those are the three players that you know a player like Watkins opens up if need be. You might not even need to sell Watkins because he's somebody, again, you'd comfortably hold for eight weeks before you potentially think about wildcarding. Mm. He was very consistent at the end of last season, wasn't he? Yeah. He made himself fixture-proof yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. So um, yeah. I suppose the, the question here is, and I, and I suppose it's probably a, a mean way of asking if we look at it in isolation, you know, Watkins versus Pedro, Watkins giving you that extra flexibility, those sorts of things, did they really, you know, sort of like prick at your conscience when you're thinking about um Salah versus no Salah yeah I mean let's look at the five players that are different and the upgrades are quite massive right we're talking about Onana Stones Jota Martinelli and Watkins versus Pedro Salah Foden slash Matoma Akanji and Johnston like there are two or three positions in which the upgrades are quite substantial especially getting what Watkins who likes a steady pick getting that second Arsenal attacker looks like a no-brainer like if I look at it just five players versus five players it's sort of like a no-brainer to go with the no Salah draft but uh, until Tuesday Wednesday at least I don't want to drop considering the no Salah draft and see where we go after that do you think that there might be things after those days that will perhaps help I mean I suppose that we might get some injury news or some additional bits of preseason. is there anything that you're looking out for that, that you anticipate would tilt you one way or the other or is it very much still um, you know we'll wait and see <laughs> The three things that I'm really looking out for over the weekend uh, games are, is there a 5.0 million Man City defender that might look like he's going to be nailed? Like whether Walker's, if Walker's stone, stole, sold, then somebody like an Akanji, uh, his minutes go up, expected minutes go up. Uh, is Guardiol going to be fit? If he's going to be fit, then Ake looks like a no-go at the moment. So that's one thing. And whether Pedro is legit as an enabler, uh, like I'm guessing that the managers will start playing closer to the first team in the last game before game week one, right? So does Pedro feature in that? What am I thinking there? 
that's the question but again you know he's not probably going to be a 90 minute man he's probably going to get 60 70 minutes so that's the piece of information i'm waiting for and i'm waiting to see if it looks to me like a liverpool attacker not named mo sala is first choice because right now gakpo or yakpo whichever way you want to pronounce it darwin luis diaz and jota are fighting for two spots so that's also i want to see if any sort of information emerges there as well Yeah, because I mean, some people were looking at Nunez, weren't they? Of course, and then Gakpo uh, started the the Bayern Munich game, which kind of would suggest that he's more first choice, which makes a lot of sense when you consider how Nunez, for example, finished the end of last season. So we we should get some more information from these games coming up. I mean, with Pedro, he I believe is um, ahead of all other Brighton forwards for minutes played in the preseason, but he's only ahead of uh, Welbeck by two minutes. So we do need <laughs> one more game to give us information there. Uh, it's Rayo Vallecano, yep. I think it is. So it's you know not. Um, awful opposition you know la liga opposition there so hopefully would would tell us some more information i mean with with brighton actually um a lot of people are very much seeing them as a short term sort of thing so if you felt like you were relatively confident that pedro would maybe start two of the first three and then game week 3 4 is largely when people are thinking about moving them to someone else when their fixtures stiffen up would that be enough for you even cuz you are, of course acknowledge that brighton are going to rotate a lot this year but maybe not so much before european football kicks in would that be would, would you be happy with that um it's just how yeah. long term your brighton thoughts are i suppose i'm perfectly happy my my brighton lens is slightly different like to, in the ever since deserby came into the league uh, they were behind only man city for underlying attacking numbers i see them as that attacking they don't really give they don't really care about who the opposition is whoever the opposition is they're going to go out there and attack so it's 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 almost like a better version of Leeds United, where you have attackers capable of scoring whoever the opposition is. And if you're looking at the first six games, you know it's Luton home, Wolves away, West Ham United at home, then Newcastle home, United away, and then Bournemouth at home. I think from an attacking perspective, these six fixtures are fine. So I don't think the purview for Brighton is as short term as people are making it out to be. Does that perhaps make it more important for you to find someone who's going to play more minutes? I suppose if if that's yeah. the way you're thinking, which maybe is an additional headache for you. Yeah, that's why. So I'm going to be playing close attention to them, like downgrading Ford into Mitoma and getting a Neil City defender sort of enables that. And then I have to see what to do with the Pedro spot. Maybe I upgrade him to Visa. Those are the things I'm contemplating at the moment. Yeah. I suppose uh, it would be also be good to get your thoughts on Umbermo I suppose because you, you seem interested in Visa haven't really talked about much about Umbermo um which I can I can probably imagine why perhaps because Visa is the more attacking of the two but uh, as as Umbermo entered your thoughts at all in this preseason so in the 6.5 million price bracket in midfield bracket I prefer Ese I prefer Metoma and I prefer Diaby to him he's fourth in the spot for me just because like I mentioned right right Brentford are losing the best player at the top of the spine and at the bottom of the spine and i don't know whether we see a downturn in that performance so I, i'm much more comfortable i think as is my favorite in that 6.5 million bracket and then metoma and then i'm still monitoring what a diaby might be doing so those are the three players that have over him hmm. yeah mbomo was definitely he was like in everybody's team to begin with but his his interest in him does seem to uh, uh have yeah. to i mean the to... fixtures are ridiculous they're absolutely ridiculous so i absolutely get it it's just a uh, I foresee maybe wanting to hold on to this player in that 6.5 midfield mid million spot for a longer time so let's see. Hmm. 
before we uh, before we round up, in terms of how you are maybe sort of viewing the weeks beyond game week one, um, are there particular points in the first six game weeks where you're anticipating some some big changes? We've already loosely talked about Chelsea, Spurs, for example. A lot rides on a number of different things, but um, how do you envisage or because nobody likes to book in transfers? But how do you envisage your uh, transfer plans, perhaps maybe shifting in game week three, game week four, five, six, etc. Um, and you know just who at those clubs you've perhaps uh, got an eye on? Yeah, so the th- that's the thing with Salah, right? So if I have Salah in my team, uh, I think having the most expensive, second most expensive player in the game sort of offers max flexibility where I can jump on to a Jungman Son if he emerges as an option or any of the Chelsea attackers as well. So there's money to play around with. If I, That's why I'm being careful to not spread the funds around if uh, I'm going without Mo Salah as well because it just leads to more flexibility and I foresee us wanting to move on to the right Spurs or Chelsea attackers in game week 3 and I'm open to a minus 4 maybe a minus 8 if opportunities present in game week 3 to jump on the right attackers it, it, those big hits sometimes are um, involved when you when you upside chase as well. And I remember something else that you've said before as well. And you sort of alluded to it at the beginning of the video, just about how every season is different, and sometimes hits will pay off, sometimes they won't. Um, yeah. Is it maybe too soon to get inkling for whether or not that's going to work this year, or you know, uh, with us returning to a more linear season, do do you anticipate that having an impact on how effective hits can be? I suppose because you do like a hit <laughs> when you have the opportunity to take one. The thing is, ever since Erling Haaland has uh, entered the league, and if it's a linear season without blanks or doubles, uh, the need to take a hit is somewhat reduced. Because whatever you do, whoever can have an incredibly great fixture, you have Haaland playing a game. And Haaland playing a game makes him a captaincy option. So that sort of reduces the need to take a hit. But... uh, one thing that's always in my head is, let's say, if Chelsea go on a great run of fixtures or a Spurs go on a great run of fixtures, the chances of you catching a haul, especially in an FPL ecosystem where everybody is adapting very quickly to the changes that we see in the footballing world, uh, the probability increases if you get in your player earlier, if you're convinced about him. So that's the reason why I'd probably be looking at it if I have a medium-term view for that player. If I made up my mind in Game Week 3 that, you know what, I'm going to wildcard... Around game week eight, not in the next two or three weeks, that's when I need to make sure I take the hit so that I'm hoping it pays off in the next five weeks. Because asking for a hit to pay off in one week is unreasonable. You 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 have to give yourself some time for that to pay off. Yeah, it's all about uh, having a look ahead to what's coming up that makes uh, all the difference. Uh... But yeah, thank you very much, of course, for, for talking through your different teams. I mean, it's been really fascinating to see two different teams and just, but at the same time, how similar they are. And I think that that's, that's going to be really effective for the decisions you make, uh, you know, in the next, what, we've got about 10 days now, I think it is. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out. But speaking of looking ahead, uh, perhaps you might want to tell us um, when we can next catch you on the wire. You've probably got lots of episodes coming up. So um, yeah, tell us a bit about uh, what's coming up, when, and how we can, how other people who maybe aren't familiar with the wire can, can find you and, uh, and the other guys. I mean, we did a monster pot covering all of defense a couple of days ago with Pras and Zofar. I thought it was a great discussion, a lot of strategy meta conversation. If you're not sure about your defense, I think that two-hour conversation should sort you out. But we're dropping content every alternate day at the moment. I think uh, we have a 30-40 minute episode on Arsenal coming from fans on our 
Discord who are great and they've got great insights. And especially people interested in the Arsenal conversation after Gabriel Jesus got in- injured. I have an interview with uh, Distance Covered who features on the Anfield Wrap. Uh, we're doing a 30-40 minute video on uh, Liverpool as well. And then, then on Monday or Tuesday, we're doing a long product and covering all attackers with Prasens of both. Amazing stuff. It's going to be uh, essential yeah. viewing, I think, over the next couple of days, especially those talking points as well, really drilling down into the, the detail. It's, uh, that's what you're always going to get with the, the wire. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Thank you very much for telling us uh, all about that. One quick reminder before we go to make sure you do sort out your Fantasy Football Scout membership uh, before the start of the season. Save up to 30% uh, on those preseason prices. And if you've enjoyed this video, don't forget to like and subscribe and hit that bell notification. But with that, we shall leave you guys to the rest of your tinkering and we shall see you next time. Thank you so much, David.